Thank you to Dating Positives for continuing to support the podcast, Something Positive for Positive People. If you haven't already gone to check it out, it's another alternative option to what you may be used to as far as online dating sites um, that are for people who are STI positive. So get on there, send some messages, play around on it, flirt. Um, I was on there earlier today actually playing around on the website to check out some of the functions so that I could talk about it a little bit more detailed. And it gives you options to like set your like criteria if you want to be friendly or if you want to be flirty or if you want to be naughty so that's something cool that stands out and i encourage you to get on there play around with that as well also check out waxo i contribute a lot of written material there where i talk about more details of my own personal experience and living with an sci and other topics just around my dating experience leading up to this point And I think that some of it is useful. Um, Some of it may be useful to some people, uh, some may not. But there's also several other pieces of writing on there. This is a LGBT positive and SCI positive um, environment and space where you'll see a lot of writing that may relate to you based on the authors. Um, As I said before, Dr. Laurie Batito, who we've had on the podcast before, and she's the director of uh, Pornhub's sexual wellness center um she's written some material there and i think there was i can't remember his name so i don't want to butcher it but there was a queer man who expressed the importance of having a gay doctor uh, a gay male doctor for him and he talked about that in an article so go and check that out waxo.com w-a-x-o-h.com and you can check out some of that written material On top of that, um, the survey that you guys took, I appreciate you all taking the time to do so because it's helped me implement a lot of the changes that you'll begin to see in upcoming episodes. Um, I began the rebranding process to make this the Sex Positive Podcast, and I've also began reaching out to more nonprofit organizations that are um, providing sexual health resources, and one of those episodes is what you're going to hear today. Um, In addition to that, I've also created a Patreon page, and that was something that was challenging for me to do because I've already said I don't feel like I want to charge people money for being in this space you know I don't want to make things that are going to be exclusive to only paying members and that's just off of my personal beliefs because I mean I'm working two jobs and this was something that I would do if I weren't getting paid or if I were getting paid fortunately I'm able to be in position where I can do weekly podcast episodes now rather than once a month and <laughs> once every other week uh, so it's a blessing so I look I look forward to being able to continue to pay the blessing forward um and i hope that you all will do the same as well just by sharing the podcast with other people or there's now an alternative option for the 43 percent of people who took the survey and expressed that they want to support the show but don't feel comfortable sharing the podcast thanks to the stigma um i've set up the patreon page patreon.com slash spfpp where you can contribute monetarily to the podcast and the growth of the podcast. And once all the paperwork's finalized, I'll be able to be more specific about where the money's going that you decide to donate. But there's an extremely high tier available. And I support a lot of sex-positive people in this space who provide coaching, therapy, and more resources that extend beyond my experience. So I want to be able to direct the people who reach out to me that need more than just the conversation that I'm able to give them. So I want to be able to pay these people through some of the money that's raised by the podcast so that not pay the people who are reaching out to me, but pay the people who can provide the resources that someone who may need them and may not have the means of, um, paying for them I want them to be able to get it because a lot of these people who support me um, just through sharing the podcast and all those kinds of things also offer very useful services and they've been great resources to me and support systems and I believe these people's time is worth the monetary value that they're asking Um, and I want to also be able to do more for the people who 
reach out because it's hard to do. It's hard to reach out and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. I have this STD. No one's going to love me. I'm scared. I'm thinking about killing myself. And I'm not able to give them the best treatment um, in order for them to walk away and get back to life and hopefully be able to break through those negative emotions that they have. So if you want to donate, please check out the Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash S-P-F-P-P for something positive for positive people. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode with Rashard Conrad from BreakingHIVStigma.org. Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a hub of sex-positive resources for everyone. Anyone who's living a sexually active life or curious about exploring what that may be, I have recently been rebranding the podcast in order to make this a safe space for people to find those resources. And I'm so excited to announce that today um, I'm connecting with one of those organizations that I told you I wanted to collaborate with and share their resources. And this one is called Breaking HIV Stigma. I'm here with Rashard Conrad, who's in, are you in North Carolina or South Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. What part? Durham. Okay. So we got breaking HIV stigma. Rashard in Durham, North Carolina. How are you, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, And let me ask, because I I do this thing where I'm always saying, man, and I want to get better about this. What are your pronouns? Um, Him. All right. Gotcha. We're going to be talking about your organization. We're going to be talking about what you're doing. We're going to talk about the work, what led you up to that. Let's talk about breaking HIV stigma. What started that? All right. Um, so breaking HIV stigma right now is a online platform on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, as well as a website blog. Um, I started it just to help break the stigma associated with HIV just because I feel like a lot of times the information that we're given is not necessarily in a format that reaches the everyday person. So with the content that I try to create, it's centered around everyday conversational pieces because I feel that in order to really break the stigma, we have to start having these conversations to normalize the topics of not just HIV, but just sexual health in general. Um, So I feel that if we're able to create topics that create these conversations, we can reach more people and people can really start to do what they need to do to stay healthy. Um, Being in the South, you really, I really get to see how stigmatized HIV is. You know, you don't really think about it, but the stigma associated with HIV actually causes people to not go get tested simply off the strength of they feel that if someone sees them going to the health department or to an organization that does free testing, that they are automatically going to be singled out as, oh, they're positive. Yeah. These facilities, these organizations, they offer so much more than STD testing, which shouldn't even be something you judge a person for doing. There are free condoms, there's free treatment and free testing, and then there's sex education in most of these places. So no one should be shamed for utilizing any of these resources off of an assumption of what you may see as 20, 25% of what could be offered at that facility by cutting off all of it. Exactly. Um, And then even whenever you do have the people who will go and get tested and find out their status, especially here in the South, the stigma is so strong that I've known people who have tested positive but will not get on treatment based solely because they know how their family is going to react or they've seen how people treat other people who are positive. Mm-hmm. Even though it's something that no one has to really know because no one has to know that you're taking your one pill a day. Right. Um, and I feel like a lot of times people are still stuck in that 1992 mindset that HIV is a death sentence. When in reality, in 2019, HIV is a manageable disease, just like diabetes and high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, Today, if someone is diagnosed with HIV, they can simply, their treatment plan is simply one pill a day on top of exercise and diet. 
which everyone should be having a better, you know, better diet and exercising. But if you look at something like diabetes, people are taking a pill to help control their sugars. They're taking insulin on top of that. So you're doing more to manage other diseases than you are HIV. I think that what you're doing aligns with what it is that I'm trying to get into and it's still coming together. But what it looks like for me is uplifting organizations like yours and making people, making it a normalized thing to go into these places, get tested, use these services, use uh, them for sexual health resources, volunteer and donate at these places. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do this was because I went to an organization called St. Louis Effort for AIDS. Um, They have an organization here in St. Louis that services people with HIV and AIDS, and it's in the title. So um, after connecting with them, I just wanted to see what their services were and know what they were doing and, of course, bring it onto the podcast. And I went in and found out, like, everywhere I looked, there are condoms. There are bowls of condoms just everywhere. And people make this joke like, oh, they don't have the good ones. They don't have the ones that are my size. But... They had magnums, you know what I mean? So, and that's 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 the main thing that people say, like, oh man, I'm too big for those condoms. And no, you can go in there and get free condoms. And three packs, last time I checked, were about seven dollars. And you can go get these for free at one of these places. But the stigma being so strong, keeping people from even coming in to take the preventive measures, that that that's just crazy. You know, like my goal for breaking HIV stigma. Like I said, right now, it's more of an online platform. Um, back in February, I did do, I did co-host the actual community event um, in Wilson, North Carolina, which is in the eastern part of North Carolina, just because they have a higher um, transmission rate for new cases of HIV. And why so, is that? Um, it's really because in eastern North Carolina... They're smaller cities and counties, so they don't get the funding that larger cities do on top of it's very stigmatized down there. So we did this um, event where we it actually got proclamated by the um, mayor of Wilson. We had the health department and other organizations out there, and the turnout is just not as big as it is here in Durham. Mm -hmm. Just because that stigma is still, we don't really want to mess with that because I don't want to be associated with it because somebody's going to think that I'm positive. Yeah, Not not thinking from the standpoint of, well, you coming to this, you getting tested, you're ensuring that you are okay. Uh, Because I think that a lot of times people are so worried about, well, I'm okay because I know what I'm doing, but they fail to realize the people that they're connected to and who they're also connected to. Yeah. The stigma is enabling people to put others in more, well, they're putting themselves in danger by not wanting to be tested, treated, or uh, manage HIV due to this fear of what other people are going to think. In my experience over the last year, I would say that was one of the biggest things that I've seen is that a lot of times people are more concerned with what the perception that other people have will be. Mm-hmm. So here in Durham, one of the places that you can, of course, go get tested and receive services is our local health department. So for us, our local health department doesn't just house the health department. It also houses social services. But I've run into people who will not go down there to go get tested because it's, well, no, if I go to the health department, everybody's going to think that I have something. Yeah, like somebody going to see you. <laughs> right, but I'm like, if you go to the health department, they don't know if you're going for HIV testing, if you're going to try to get some services, you know, if you're trying to go down there to go get your birth certificate. Yeah. That's housed down there, too. But it's just that thought of if someone sees me going to the health department, they're going to think I have HIV, so I don't want to go. Or they, or they think that I have something else. But I was like, so you would rather not know that's you know and possibly have something and not know it 
than to go just because of what someone else might think if they see you. Yeah, but there are people who would just rather not know. Um, someone I know, and specifically about herpes, uh, expressed that they have a friend who asked partners, hey, would you rather me tell you I have herpes or would you rather not know? And the majority of that person's sexual partner said that they would rather not know. So that person took it upon themselves to take that as a, uh, a, a, a conclusive opinion that people would just rather not know and just chose not to disclose their HSV status moving forward just because of that. That's the reality because people won't talk about it. Mm. Um, like I know today, I was actually having a conversation with my coworker just because I'm in the process of planning another event in Eastern North Carolina. So I was trying to come up with ideas to engage the community to get tested. Um, because that's kind of what I do with the blog and with the um, IG pages. I try to engage with my followers to get their input. So we were talking about it, and we kind of got on that whole topic of just HIV and testing and everything in general. And so she was saying how one of the things that really opened her eyes was she was having a conversation with her family about somehow HIV came up, and she was saying, oh, well, you know, I don't know about the people who have HIV because they're dirty and they're this and they're that. Oh, that, so, gave, that just made me cringe. Right, so she said that her aunt got really upset and walked off and she didn't know why. And so later on, her mom told her that her aunt was positive um, and that at the time her aunt actually um, had AIDS, she had developed AIDS. Um, and so she was like, that that's when it hit her that the misconception that she's had all of this time from what she's heard from friends or what she's heard in the quote-unquote streets was wrong because she knew that her aunt wasn't dirty. She knew that her aunt wasn't out here all wild, but that's what opened up her eyes to realize that anyone can get HIV. And, you know, that's when I was like, yeah, like, that's the thing. People get caught up in the hype of it but not realizing that in this day and age, anyone can get it. Um, you know, people think that you have to be promiscuous or, you know, like you have to have a whole lot of sexual partners to get HIV or any STD for that matter. And the reality is, it's a lot of people who contract HIV and other STDs for the first time they ever had sex. They get something that they may or may not be able to get rid of. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not about... Like, yes, that increases your chances, but the reality of it is it only takes one time. It only you know, takes like, one time, yeah. You know, whenever you contract HIV or you contract syphilis or herpes, it's not because, so so you have to hit X amount of partners in this time frame to get it. You, you contracted it on this one occasion with this one partner. I'm so... That's why I feel like starting the conversations helps to have people to have these conversations. Because I know with my friends and family, I have these conversations all the time now to where it's like, well, you're out here, you know, you're having fun, you're sleeping with someone. But have you had this conversation about have they got tested? And it's, well, I know I don't have anything. How do you know that if you haven't been tested? Most STDs or STIs don't have symptoms up front. Or, depending on when you contract it, and depending on the time of year, you may not necessarily notice the signs and symptoms. So, if you happen to contract HIV in the middle of flu season, when you have the flu-like symptoms, you may not necessarily equate it to, I need to go get tested, because it's flu season. Everybody's getting the flu. So let me just go get some medicine. And then, you know, in two weeks when you're feeling better and you're not thinking about it, you're going on about your day, not thinking about it, not realizing that, hey, you may not have any other symptoms. Yeah, but you're still positive. And at that point, right. you're unaware, being unaware of your status, because I didn't even think about that. You know, we go through flu season and the symptoms are similar to just flu season. And you're like, oh, it's flu season. And then you exit that. 
uh, that time and those symptoms. And that was your body telling you, hey, I have I, this is HIV. Come check me out. And then like the symptoms just die down and it takes for something else to happen before you are able to or willing to or have to get tested and find out oh all this time it's been hiv and here's where it is now whenever you test positive what they look at is your cd4 count oh four okay um which everyone has a cd4 count um it's just that the higher your cd4 count is the stronger your immune system is um, and they also look at what your viral load is, which is how many copies of the virus is in your blood. So the, so typically the higher the viral load, typically the lower your CD4 count will be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the purpose of you getting on treatment is so that the medication will help to increase your CD4 and it will decrease the viral load um, just because with the medicine, it helps to kill off the virus um, till you get to the point of what they call undetectable. Um, And so basically what that means is the amount that's in your blood is so little that it's almost undetectable in your blood. And so that's a part of that U equals U campaign, which is undetectable equals untransmittable. Right. Which simply means if a person living with HIV is taking their antiviral medications, which is their HIV medication every day as prescribed they can reach this undetectable level and so what it is is that once you have reached this level to be undetectable then you can't transmit it to someone else and so that's a part of what everyone is really trying to get the people who are living with HIV to get on medication so that a part of the prevention to help stop the epidemic is treatment you can help to stop the spread of it from people living with HIV by getting them more treatment. They can't spread it. If everyone knows their status, if they have HIV, they're being treated, they're on their medication consistently. As time passes, if we're able to catch this early and take the measures, we can have a society that doesn't have HIV. HIV will just be gone. That is the goal and effort um, because right now, There is not an actual cure for HIV. You have medications to treat it. They have medications that can actually prevent it, which is the Truvada or, you know, which is the pre-exposure prophylaxis. And there has been two documented cases of two patients being cured of HIV in the UK. However, with both of those patients, they both had cancer and... They both ended up having to get chemo and a part of the cancer, and it wasn't really responding, so they got bone marrow transplants, but who's really trying to go through all of that mm. okay. um, when you can just kind of take a pill a day? So that's why they have all of the HIV care research going on. Um, just because right now, whenever you take the HIV medications, what happens is it kills off most of the virus but the virus will hide inside of cells. So with the HIV care research, they're trying to figure out how to get the virus that's hiding inside of the cells to come out so that it can kill that as well. Mm. Um, That's just kind of that standstill that we're at right now. Okay. Um, But hopefully one day we can see a world without HIV. Yeah. Now, your aim is to break the stigma by bringing up these daily conversations that need to be had. What are some of the conversations you encourage us to be able to have as someone who wants to be a supporter or an advocate of people who are living with HIV? How can we contribute to this conversation? One of the things that I actually posted today um, was about HIV language and how language really matters when it comes to HIV. I think that a lot of times we forget or don't realize that one words mean things as well as how powerful words can be. So it's about just changing up how you say things that can help destigmatize it. So for instance, instead of saying something like um, the person with HIV, the person affected with HIV, you can say the person living with HIV or the person living with AIDS versus 
the AIDS patient. You know, um, it's just those simple things that kind of focus on the person versus the diagnosis. Because at the end of the day, someone living with HIV is a person first. They are a person. They are out living their life, and they just so happen to have HIV. Um, So I think that part of it is helping to change the way that we speak when it comes to that, because that is something that can be very standoffish and it can really cause issues because there's a big difference between saying, you know, the person infected with such and such versus the person living with such and such. Yeah. Because the stigma highlights those kinds of words, the negative associated words and terminologies such as infected, dirty, disgusting, any negative association. And for each of these negative associations, there's a positive one, which is just humanizing a person. You know, like we said, it only takes one time to get exposed to an STD. It takes one partner, it takes one experience. Collectively, society doesn't even consider the idea of someone possibly being sexually assaulted or someone being cheated on or someone being exposed to a virus after their first sexual contact with another partner. And even with blood, blood transfusions or um, those kinds of situations where someone can be exposed to HIV. These are the kinds of things that should be in the everyday conversation in order to get rid of this stigmatizing language. Right. Um, Especially with the way that things are now, just because we are living in a generation to where you have people who are living with HIV, but they didn't meet any of the classifications that you mentioned before, because we are in a generation to where you have people who were born with HIV. Um, And a part of doing what I do, conversation pieces are educating and highlighting the ways that you can actually contract HIV to help, you know, in the myth of, oh, well, you know, you can get it from a mosquito bite, you know, you can get it from kissing someone, hugging them, drinking after them, when the reality is you can't get it from any of that. You can't get it from a mosquito. You're not going to get HIV from kissing someone who's living with HIV. You're not going to get it from their sweat, from holding their hands, only certain, because it's certain fluids. Yeah. Um, it's not all of them that you can contract HIV from. Got it. We're two black men, and we're having a conversation about HIV and As you were talking, you know, I cringed throughout because I can see the conversations I've had with my family and people in my community about STD testing, sex health, and being too good to utilize free services and things like that. I said, I don't know that we want to have this conversation. I wanted to make sure it was okay with you. And then you were like, oh, this conversation needs to be had. You poked your glasses up and everything. So let's let's get into it. Um, You know, I, I completely understand that race is a touchy subject. I get it. But when it comes to the HIV AIDS epidemic, race is very important. Um, Because the African American and Latinx communities are disproportionately affected by HIV. Um, So for example, North Carolina, this is where I'm from, so I kind of know a little bit more here. Um, So in 2017, this is a fact that you can look up on our state's website for the STD and HIV um, stats. So for 2017, 46.8% of all new cases of HIV were African Americans. Yet... African-Americans only make up approximately 22% of the state of North Carolina. And so, one, it's a matter of resources. Two, it's the stigma that is attached to it that causes us to not talk about it within our communities. Because at the end of the day, HIV and STDs is not something that we generally talk about 
in the African-American community. I won't say anything about the Latinx community or anything else because I don't know about those communities. But I know for the African-American community, we can talk about everything else under the sun, but there's very rarely that you generally will have true conversations as a community in general around sexual health. And Typically, what you get is don't look, don't get nobody pregnant, don't come here pregnant, and whenever you go to school, you'll get the don't come home sick story. You know, hey, wrap it up, protect yourself, don't come back sick. If you come back skinny, we know that you got some. But that's the extent of our STD HIV conversations. I truly believe it starts at home. I believe the conversations need to be had at home. Mom, dad, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. Like, I feel like the African-American home is broken collectively, if you look at it that way, where the structure doesn't allow for discussions about sex health and like being able to have discussions like sexual health, college, your future. These are privileges and luxuries and the, the African-American household is focused on survival. I just want to make sure you make it home at the end of the day as my black child. And that's what my mom's focus was on, making sure the electric, uh, the electricity was on, we had a roof over our head, and we had food on the table. Absolutely. Like, you know, because we're so, it's so much that we deal with that I feel like over the years, People have had to kind of pick and choose what to focus on. And health has not really been a huge priority. One, just because within the black, you know, African-American community, like I think that for us, it's a trust issue that has just been passed on from generation to generation. You know, because we don't necessarily trust the medical professionals as much. Yeah. You know, so with that being passed down, you know, because realistically... We all know that a remedy for everything is some ginger ale. <laughs> you know, like, you know, we are more so the home remedies type because we don't have that trust for medical professionals as much. No. You know, we are the home remedies. You do it at home. That's why I feel it's so important to start these conversations because the information, not just regarding HIV, but sexual health in general, the information is things that you are getting passed down and that you just hear here and there from friends. Like, it's not any legitimate, truly tangible or reliable information that you're getting. It's more so, so I heard that this is what someone with HIV looks like. Yeah. When it doesn't have a look, you know, people assume, well, you know, well, once you get HIV, you're going to go ahead, you're going to lose all this weight, you're going to get real skinny. But I've seen people who are 300 plus pounds and have been living with HIV for 20, 30 years. Like, yeah, that's not, you know, like you can't look at someone and tell what type of illness that they have. Right. And then. Uh, going back to like the there there are many elements of health in the black community that we don't address, we don't deal with, or we pass them off as something else. You know, like there there's just so many different conversations up in the air right now. But like I said, like our priorities. I know that my parents, grandparents, their priorities with me were survival. And now that I've made it to thirty, I'm I mean, I wasn't supposed to be here. You know, I look at. Um, Nipsey Hussle just murdered, you know, the other day, yesterday. That shit really had me thinking, man, like being a positive influence and aware and, and, and just trying to do good. He was just murdered, man. Like I, and this shit hits me. And historically I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the words to express what it is that I feel. And I think that this feeling is a sense of, not just sadness, uh, it's not anger, it's it's something more. And it's not normal for us to examine our mental health or sit with the emotions that we are having. I wasn't taught that shit. I had to learn it. I had to leave my environment, my home, go to school, and this was what my 
parents and grandparents wanted for me. They, I remember, like, they would always just say, go to school, go to school. And what they were, in hindsight now, what they were telling me was, do better, get educated, do the things that we don't know to do. You got to go You gotta go out there and do something different. We're going to protect you. We're going to beat your ass when you do something bad because that's what's going to keep you alive. And when you become an adult, you might be mad at us, but I don't give a fuck. You're still here. Your priority right, is survival. Yep. Um, and I feel the exact same way. Like, the whole Nipsey Russell thing is sad. It's unfortunate. Um, but it was like I was telling my cousin today, I was like, you know, like, that hit hard because he was doing something productive. You know, he was really trying to help the community and stuff. And, you know, it really hits hard when you start to think about he's right here at our age, like he's just two years older than us, you know, type of thing. So it's like that could have been us, but then it's when I really sat back and thought about it, I was like, you know, unfortunately, it hurts, but it's a different type of hurt now because there's so many people that I know that didn't make it, like, you know, one of my best friends just turned 30 a couple weeks ago, and he was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Like, I ain't seen, I ain't seen myself making it this far. Right, he was like, I ain't think I'm supposed to make it this far. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do at yeah. this point because, you know, but then it's like, you know, typically after a while, we get numb to it. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, when something like this happens with Nipsey, it's, it makes us feel it. But then it's just like, well, dang, like, you know, there's so many people who didn't make it. Like, it's crazy how you sit back and think that making it to 30 is legit a privilege. That shit is a privilege for us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, to make it home every day is low-key a privilege. Man. And I hear, when I hear people complain about not being able to get out of bed... I understand depression is a real thing and the the emotions associated with it. And I just can't imagine like not being grateful for waking up, you know, and being able to make that decision. Do I want to get out of bed or do I not want to get out of bed? I have to get out of bed. If I don't go to work, I don't eat. If I don't eat, I ain't going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be forced to do and put myself in situations where I'm going to have to find a way to eat. If I ain't getting food, I'm going to have to take food, you know, and that's that goes to show you that this is a very well-crafted system of oppression that we live in because it's just it. it and I, I feel like it's a very perfectly orchestrated thing. You've got your white supremacy and then you've got all of the like the power exchanges, the illusions of control and shit. And ultimately, like I'm seeing that a lot of the the priorities of the oppressor appear to be money. The prioritization is money over people. You see it like we have so many black role models in the media that aren't really role models. These are tools that perpetuate the oppressed communities remaining oppressed. I look outside and in the area I'm in, like you'll see people doing drugs at the bus stop. You'll see people selling drugs down the street and shit like that. And these are some old men. And I thought, you know, after this is when it hit me when it's like Nipsey Hussle was 33 and building it, upbuilding and uplifting his community, educated, educating. And these are the men, the 60 year old men who are drinking 40 ounce beers walking down the street. These are the ones that make it old. You know, nothing against the fact that, you know, you made it, you, you that old, but like you were allowed, you know, you weren't shot and killed. You weren't uh, uh, killed by someone in your own community or the police, um, but you're out here in this space like you're a person in poverty if you get out of line of remaining in poverty and you're trying to bring people with you i almost feel like that's what puts a target on you yeah i think that the system of oppression and bringing this shit full circle because i just completely went into like some trauma shit um the fact that hiv is so prevalent in the black community i believe has to do with this system of oppression as well because you know we the the stigma, the belief systems that we have are so tightly within us that this normalized dysfunction that we have about not wanting to go get tested because we don't want to know that we have HIV. What kind of shit is that? Like, what kind of thinking is that collectively? 22% of the population of North Carolina is black and 48% of the new cases of HIV were black people. How? 60. 
Six, say that again. I said, no, it wasn't 40. It's 60. Let me give you the right number. It's okay. like 60 something. Oh, man. But even in the 60s, man, and it, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I sometimes, well, after yesterday, like, I felt a little bit of nervousness or, like, fear from doing this and having these kinds of conversations because these are conversations that need to be had. These are, like, I want to inspire action, and this is the kind of shit, again, that puts a target on your back. You look at any black man that inspired action and collectiveness and community in his community, Martin Luther King was 30 what? Nipsey Hussle, 30 what? You know, the Tupac didn't get to 30. And anybody who is at that place is inspiring action. Here I am, like, hey, everybody, we can end <laughs> sex shaming and STDs if we all regularly make it a thing to go get tested at nonprofit organizations and for affordable prices or even for free. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, like, that that shit's it, it's scary. And it's like, when someone is murdered like that, it does one of two things. It either discourages people from being like that or you impact the impact is greater on more people to be like that and then we just get smarter like we get smarter about how we maneuver how we move where we invest how we teach the community how we educate ourselves and how we make ourselves grow you know so i'm really hoping to be a part of that to be one of the people who's not gonna respond out of fear and contract but respond out of wow this is fucked up and something different needs to happen and be able to evolve and adapt as a result of this. Absolutely. Um, Cause you know, like change is needed. Like, you know, target or no target for me, I have to do what I have to do for my community. Damn. I because needed to hear that. You know, because again, like I said, African-Americans make up about 22% of the state of North Carolina, but yet it was about 60 Five percent of all, you know, we were sixty-five percent of all the new cases. Yeah. Like, how does that math even add up? You know, so it's like when I started doing all of this and volunteering and helping out, like the people that I was associating with in just a short amount of time, like the moves that we made. You know, when you talk about the system and oppression, like. We did World AIDS Day 2018 at the North Carolina Executive Mansion, which is the Governor's Mansion. That's the first time they have hosted World AIDS Day in 30 years. Okay? So we are, it was myself, um, my mentor, Kimberly, my other men, mentor, Dr. Um, Allison Matthews. Oh, to beat HIV. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I had I them on. Realized today that you actually interviewed <laughs> yeah. both of my mentors, Dr. Allison Matthews and Kimberly Knight. Um, with the Lux Blog, so yep. we helped to put on this event for North Carolina. You know, this World AIDS Day at the Governor's Mansion. And I recall sitting in planning sessions with people who have real positions within the state of North Carolina and the way that they attempted to discredit the people in the room on my side of the table. Mm -hmm. Or when they hit us with the sly remarks of, oh, well, you know, I've been in this field for 35 plus years. Mind you, everybody on my side of the table was under the age of 35. But it's a matter of, hey, that's cool. I get that you've been doing this for 30 plus years. We're not trying to work against you. We are just trying to work with you. Like if we're able to kind of make certain moves and get certain things done to position, to get everyone positioned in a new spot, let's do that and work together. Yeah. Like, it was down to, we're having conversations about different stats in North Carolina. And, you know, we're talking about Eastern North Carolina because there are counties in Eastern North Carolina that have been in the top three for the last 12 years for new HIV cases. 
how are you in the top 12, I mean, in the top three for the last 12 years, nine of which were the top two, and you're a small rural county. So I understand that number-wise, number of infections or new cases are, you know, like, number-wise, you guys are less, but based on your population size, something has to give, but yet funding is still getting cut in rural North Carolina. Like, I know when we did it in Wilson, Wilson currently, last year, in 2017, they were, like, number 16 in the state for new cases. Um, But the main place to get free HIV testing is only able to provide testing twice a week because they didn't get funding. And then if you test positive... They have to refer you to a third party. Even if if you test positive in Wilson, North Carolina, the if you go to the health department and test positive, they refer you out to a third party for you to get treatment. How does your health department not be able to provide treatment for a communicable disease that has national efforts? To end the HIV epidemic is not something that we're just in our little circle like, hey, we need to we need to end this. Like there are national programs, national efforts. Like if you test positive in North Carolina, your your information is sent to the state and we have people who will actually contact you to do um, an interview with you to ensure that you're getting connected to treatment and to help figure out who you were connected to sexually so that they can ensure that they get tested so that they can try to find the source and to stop the source and get everyone on treatment. But yet you go to your health department and they're going to send you to a third party who's going to actually end up referring you to a whole nother county. I hope the efforts that you're putting in, the effort that I'm putting in, the people who listen to this podcast, like, feel compelled to some level to even just volunteer, donate to these kinds of organizations because that's one thing that can be done. Encouraging people to get tested, getting tested ourselves. Like, we got to do something different, y'all. Like, it's cool to go volunteer and to donate, but I feel like a bigger impact is simply having those conversations with your friends and family. Like, instead of just sitting around with your homeboys or, you know, for the females with their homegirls talking about the people who they're getting to know, like, well, have y'all had this conversation? Like, have you ensured that they're, you know, that they have gotten tested? And not just taking their word for it, but let's go get tested together. With it being free and so fast, I got tested for HIV. I drew blood. I peed in a cup for the chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea test. And by the time I got back from peeing in the cup, I had my results back. And I was like, whoa. I was quit. <laughs> That's the process. It's fast. It's easy. They make it simple. They make it simple for you to get tested for HIV. They make it simple for you to know your STD status. Even for the people who don't want to go to the doctor or go to the clinic, they may have to spend a little money, but they can go to like CVS and get the Oroquick where they can just swab their mouth and do the home test kit at home and get their results. You'll pay like $30, $40 for the test kit. You take it home, you do it, it'll get your results. But it also comes with a bag for you to kind of put it in and put it in the envelope and you can ship it to a lab to have them to run a deeper diagnostic test just to make sure if you need them to. This options, I just hope that the work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing, that people just kind of take that and start having these conversations and just go out here and, you know, just, you know, just convince someone to go get tested or just have the conversation. Cause I feel like having the conversations, people may not necessarily tell you what they're going to do, but at least they're a little bit more educated and a little bit more conscious of what's going on with their sexual health. Exactly. That was important. And while I'm like, 
it's uncomfortable because I don't, I'm not surrounded by people who I can have this conversation with. You know what I mean? The majority of the guests on here are white women. So like being able to address this from a minority perspective is not something that I've been able to do. I mean, I say minority perspective, but like I've even expressed as a black man working in this field, I feel alone. And it's more of like the sex positivity field than it is working around STDs because I'm reaching out to more organizations and I'm finding that there are more people, more men that are involved with the uh, organization. So hopefully I'll be able to get connected to more people like you who are doing the work that you're doing so I can just like, (sighs) it's not just me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, listen, like it's not just you. Like it's hard. Like you start to realize you know, like, even in your area, like, granted, yeah, you're in the biggest area than me, but it's one of them things to where the sexual health, public health arena is not as big as you really think that it is. Yeah. You know, because me, I'm like, okay, you know, it's going to be all these different people, but then it's like, well, it's really just the same people here. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's really just the same people. They just work in different capacities. And, you, you know, people just kind of have different ways to do it. But at the end of the day, it's the same goal. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, what you out here doing is dope. Like I said, like, I didn't even realize until today, to this morning, that your podcast was the same podcast that Kimberly and Allison did. Oh, yeah. I got to reach out so, to them and say, hey. <laughs> So I was so I was talking to Kim today, but I told her, you know, I was like, Kim, so like I got invited to do this podcast. So we were talking about it this morning, and so when she asked the name, and I told her, she was like, Oh, Courtney's podcast. <laughs> yeah, I did that, and Allison did it too. Yeah. Um, she was like, she was telling me how she did a blog piece on you, but she was like, that she needs to hit you up because the audio sucked or something. Oh, um, I was wondering what happened with that. Okay, yeah, I thought like, she, I thought she just did it. She's like he probably thinks I'm crazy, but I'm not. <laughs> um, I work on the blog with her. Yeah, um, I'm like her creative director. Um, I, I actually am like the co-founder of it. Uh huh. So, but yeah, like she told me that, and I was like, oh, so you're telling me that I'm legit <laughs> following both of my mentors' footsteps and didn't even know it. Uh. I said, Courtney didn't piece this together, and I did piece this together, but all right, I guess I'm really trying to be like y'all, apparently. Uh, well, I appreciate it, man, and you know, no moving problem, forward, man, I you. moving forward, like, yeah, let's keep in contact for sure, and um, keep doing what you're doing, um, stay positive. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to be sure to leave here? I do know that there is one more topic that I have talked about that I think is um, typically something that most people kind of perk up to to kind of learn a little bit more about, um, which is people living with HIV can still have healthy romantic relationships. Um, Just because a lot of people know that there's treatment for HIV, but a lot of people don't know that, one, someone living with HIV is still a person. So, you you know, they're still capable of love. They're still capable of having that human interaction. Um, a lot of people don't know about PrEP. And so PrEP is the once-a-day pill that someone who is at high risk for contracting HIV, whether that means that they are in a relationship or dealing with someone who's living with HIV, whether they are someone like a college student who's just out here living their best life um, are able to take to help them prevent them from getting HIV. Um, So I think that that's one of the type of conversational pieces that I like to have because it's a dialogue that can then go into so many different directions. It's not just, you know, one of, hey, this is how you can contract it, but it's like, well, no. Just because someone has it, they can still live this normal life. They can still have relationships. It's still possible for an HIV, a person living with HIV and someone who does not have HIV to still have a family, 
you're they're still able to have children that are negative as long as the proper precautions are taken. Um, so it's just things like that that I try to do to ensure that we're having these conversations to help break that stigma because I feel like if just one person hears the conversation and decides to go get tested or hears this one conversation and feel like it's okay and they're able to get on treatment, then I've done something. Um, For the longest, you know, like doing this, breaking HIV stigma, um, I started it back in October of 2018. So it's been about five months now. Um, You know, it's something that I do because I feel like I'm helping my community, that I'm helping people to just learn. I don't always feel like I'm doing anything special. And it's not until I kind of get the DMs or the emails or the messages that lets me know the type of impact that I'm having. Um, I think I kind of slightly kind of started talking about it last night when I spoke with you about the DM that I got on Instagram after I posted just the post about, you know, just saying that if you're living with HIV, there's treatment options. It's just the once a day pill. And I received this DM from a gentleman in the UK that was wondering if, you know, if this type of medication is available ever. Um, I told him that I thought so, but I would look into some resources. So, you know, I was able to provide him some resources of clinics in his area. Um, and then he recently told me that, you know, he was able to get on treatment and he started. Um, so, like, I feel like I had really done something. And that's a part of what I also like to do with the blog um, and everything is to kind of help connect people to resources that they don't know about. Just because there's so many resources that are available that people don't know about there are actually reasons for people not to get on treatment too. Um, I know that a lot of people will not get on treatment because they feel that they can't afford it. Not knowing that there are federal grants and programs available in every state that are for HIV medication assistance programs, also known as HMAP, um, that they can apply for sometimes through their doctor's office or health department um, and state where they're able to get their HIV medications for free. And I know here in North Carolina, the HMAP program not only covers the HIV medications, but they also cover other medications just because typically as Americans, we have other illnesses and ailments outside of just things that are a part of our sexual health. So I know here it's, you have them, like they have medication for outside of the HIV, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, pain medications, just a different array of medications to where once you um, are approved for the program, you can then get it for all of the other programs. Um, So I try to educate on that and help connect to different resources Um, like Digital Links, which is an online platform to where you can go online to fill out the application for HMAP, and it'll actually send it over to your doctor's office for them to go ahead and complete the process to send into your state's office. Um, As well as they do the assistance program for PrEP. As well as I think that some people don't realize that if they do have health insurance, and they're afraid of, like, the copay, that there's financial assistance through the pharmaceutical company that makes your drugs so that you will have a $0 copay. So there are options out here to get the medication, but people don't know about the resources. Yeah. Or they don't know the resources for housing. Um, so I try to, whenever I'm able to find resources, I try to put them on the website. Um on my website, and so I try to make sure that the resources that I put are national resources that can kind of either be very broad or they can help direct you there. Mm -hmm. So for, you know, finding testing sites, helping you find a doctor, 
just because those are the things that a lot of people don't know. Like, a lot of people don't necessarily know where they can go get free testing from. Yeah. But on my website, I have the link to um, HIV.gov's locator to where you can not only find a doctor, but you can also find a testing site. All right. And then your website is? Um, so my website is breakinghivstigma.org. Um, the Instagram page is Breaking HIV Stigma. So is the Facebook page. And Twitter is Breaking HIV Stig. All right. And we'll link to all that in the show notes. Rashard Conrad, Breaking HIV Stigma. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, man. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. If you like this episode, please rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast. This is a very useful resource. And off the top of my head, one of the biggest takeaways is that there are options out there for us. There are options that negate any excuse you may have not to get tested, not to get treated, and not to know what your status is. And there are even preventative options such as PrEP. If you think that you can't afford PrEP, go to BreakingHIVStigma.org and look for the resources that are available on that website and connect with someone near you who will be able to give you more information as well. Till next time, stay positive.